Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. It's that time of year when we say to one another, Merry Christmas. It's hard to believe we come to that point and we say that every year, but it does seem that it comes quicker every year uh, uh, each time it comes. It but, comes um, quicker every year as you get older. It's exactly right. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, I appreciate well, when that. you get older, I get older. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the time has come again to delve the truths of Christmas. Um, and we've covered a lot of angles over the years when we do our Christmas specials that it may seem there's nothing left. And, and I think we kind of had that feeling as well as we were talking about and preparing for this month and what we would cover. But we do, because we did come up with something. <laughs> or I should say the scriptures came up with something. Yeah. Um, but we want to look at what Christmas teaches us when it comes to the foundational doctrines of the faith. So basically we want to talk about what Christmas teaches us. And, and maybe another way to put it would be the theology of Christmas, you know, or what does Christmas declare to us to be true? But for title purposes, we're going to call it what Christmas teaches us. And today is going to be about the Trinity. Now, you're probably wondering, where are you going to get this? Well, stay tuned. Listen more. We're going to talk about it. Um, but our goal in bringing all of this up is our goal is to bring to life the deep truths that Christmas story declares to us. And our hope in doing so is that we would see more than just a nice Christmas story, that you, the listener, and, and us, as we talk about it, would see the veracity. When I use that word, I use it purposely because the truthfulness of it, the veracity of the Christmas story, that the Christmas story is theology. And we want to see the theological implications of the Christmas story. So that's really the vision where we're going with this next four weeks as we lead up to Christmas. Um, and so first up is Trinity. I'm not going to do what I normally do and go through all the points. I'm just going to jump in. And the first point we're going to look at as we do this is the reality of the Trinity. So when we talk about what Christmas teaches us, where is the reality of the Trinity within the Christmas story? <clears throat> we might as well start by saying that one of the most hotly contested doctrines of Scripture has been the Trinity. The Council of Nicaea dealt with the issue of the Trinity. That was in AD 325. So we're talking about the fourth, early part of the fourth century. Right. Um, the uh, There were those who taught that Christ was not God, and there were always complexities, and we'll talk about that some more in a little bit, but with regards to the whole issue of the Trinity. So it's significant that we would say, and it's purposeful that we would talk about the reality of the Trinity because we believe, and evangelicals, Orthodox evangelicals believe in the reality of the triune Godhead. People will say, well, the term Trinity is not in Scripture. Right. And that is true. I, the, and I, I've gotten that before. Yeah, and we will. I mean, especially – Sometimes get it, people even get semantical and they're like, well, let's not use that word because it's not in Scripture. It's like, eh, okay. Well, <laughs> We're just some defining of those things. things. Yeah. 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 We yeah. use we, words to define We use things. words to describe yes. or define Absolutely. something when it comes to the Trinity or the nature of right. the Godhead. Trinity is appropriate. 
because the Godhead is triune. Doesn't mean there are three gods. There's one God, and there's right. the rub. But so, with that in mind, we um, uh, want to look at some passages, and just traditional Christmas passages that we read every year, that are preached on every year, that are quoted in plays and performances every year. And if you go to Matthew chapter one, which is in and the order of the New Testament, the first place we run into the Christmas story, as we call it. And verse 18, we see an account in which Joseph, a man, is espoused to, so was technically already married to. They just haven't sealed the, the deal, right. so to speak, to a, a young woman by the name of Mary, who is a virgin, as Scriptures teach us, and as would have been in an espousal situation. And he is visited by what we call the angel of the Lord. And interesting, that term is is an Old Testament term. And when we see the term angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, if you look at your most of your translations, Lord is in all caps. And in all caps, it refers to Jehovah or Yahweh. And the the Jewish people would have thought of God in terms of Jehovah. They it's interesting did. you mentioned that because our pastor just kind of preached on that a couple he weeks ago. He brought that up in the message <laughs> yeah. just recently. He did. And uh, and I brought that up several times over the years in messages. But we um, – in Old Testament terminology, God is not referred to as Father. That was weak or little – uh, understanding of God as Father. That's a New Testament concept. Right. But the, what we would call God the Father, the first person of the Godhead, is Jehovah, and is referred to. And later down in that passage, it speaks of the prophet that it might be fulfilled, uh, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Again, there would have been the term in the Old Testament, Jehovah. Uh, and so we see the activity of the first person of the Godhead, or that we see the reference to the first person of the Godhead, we see that in Matthew chapter 18, and and, and throughout those verses, behold, a virgin shall conceive, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his mm-hmm. name Jesus, which being interpreted is God with us. So we already see the Father, we already see the Son, what's next? Well, he, he, Joseph is told in verse 18, the... Um, uh, don't don't concern yourself with taking Mary to be your wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She hadn't been sleeping around with somebody. Uh, that's what he thought. Right, but I'm saying she hadn't been. She hasn't so been. Yeah, the angel he's, he's is, reassured. He's reassured. The Holy Spirit in him is involved say. in this conception. Right, and in Luke we see that we see um, in verse 26, the sixth month of Elizabeth. Pregnancy, Gabriel comes from God and uh, goes to uh, Mary, and uh, the angel says to her, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with you. There it is again. That would have been similar to saying Jehovah is with you, Yahweh is with you. And when she saw him, she was troubled and so forth, and it goes down. It describes now the second person of the Godhead. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. Now the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mm. Now she's perplexed, obviously, that she's going to have this child because she she said, I haven't known any man. I right. haven't had sexual relationships. I can't imagine. I mean, can you imagine being married yeah, and this happens you to are, you? Yeah. You're espoused to a man. You've never had relations with a man, and you're told you're pregnant. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, both Joseph 
and Mary, who are very common people. Right. These are not noble people necessarily. Right. Live in a very common town. Mm-hmm. They had the faith, by God's grace, to believe. Yeah. And to obey and do this. To walk through it. Well, to walk later, through she it. says, be it unto me according to your word. I mean, to me, that is more magnificent than I can even imagine. Because I'm, I know my faith can be weak at times. And I simply have all the scriptures revealed to me. Right. So it is an amazing thing when you just stop and think about it. So later in explanation, verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And the power of the highest... Obviously, the first person of the Godhead shall overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Now, the Jews later, the Jewish leaders later, uh, give Jesus trouble for claiming to be the Son of God or right. claiming to be God because he said he was the Son of God. So, so you see the Holy Spirit. You see the first person, second person, third person. Of which the Godhead. I think one of the reactions that we talked about was the doctrine of the Trinity is the Bible doesn't use the word. Yes, and we admit that. But we do see it in Scripture clearly, the concept, the idea. My question is, if you see these references to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what would you call it? Right. Okay, if you don't have, what term would you use? We call it the Trinity or the Triune God, the Godhead. Right. That's just the reality of the Trinity. So we have the reality, but next is the complexity of the Trinity. And I, I think that's important for all of us as believers because sometimes when we try to figure it out with our head, it's, it's so complex that we, it makes us, our head want to explode. Which means we just have to stop. And, and, well, we'll get there in a moment, but what is it? Well, we are stopping what right now. The, We're thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what is it? What is the Trinity? Well, we believe as Orthodox evangelical Christians, as the church historically has taught, has by decree and councils said that there are three persons in the Godhead. There's one God. And each of the persons in the Godhead is co-equal, that there is a, a, a rank in the Godhead, not according to inferiority or superiority, but according to function. And responsibility. God, God the Father rules. He directs. He, the Son says, I do always what the Father tells me to do. The Spirit does the bidding of the Father and the ministry, his ministry to the lost and bringing conviction and salvation to the saved. But what we see in the Christmas story here is that played out. Mm. The, each person, what is it? We see a God who is both, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, ruler. Exactly. In, in, enabler. And often spoken to in the same terms. Christ is spoken of in Isaiah as being the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mm. So we see, and we see the Jesus speaking of himself as I am later. So when you see the Christmas story, you're seeing this complexity, that, that this thing that is so complex to us spoken of in very frank terms, just like this is the way it is. Now, the question then comes up, the other point is, how is it? Mm-hmm. What is it? How is it? Now, there's how is the, it explained? There's, the, yeah, how do we yeah, explain yeah. that? How, how could this happen? There's where we're stopped. Right. Frankly, we don't. I, we don't have that answer. We, we have a God who can't be explained with our how question. Well, and I think I think that's okay. And and the and the reason I think it's okay is because that humbles us as human beings and causes us to realize we serve a God who is beyond us. He is 
too high for us to explain. Uh, As our pastor often says, he's the primary cause. He is. He is. There's none like him. There is none like him. Uh, Now, I understand what you mean when you say, well, that's okay, because we have to, in our minds, say, okay, I can live with this, this lack of explanation. But the truth is, it better be okay. Right? Right? It is okay whether you think it's okay or not. Because God says this is what he is like. Right. Whether we understand it, shall we ever fully understand God? Don't don't make the mistake of thinking that when you're in eternity, and the Christmas story is is more to us than it ever was, that you will fully understand God, the Godhead. You will not because yeah. He's infinite, right? And so, an infinite God leaves us at some point saying, with our hands up, saying, "I can't get my arms right. around this." So. So we, we've talked about the complexity of the Trinity, but I think landing this plane, we need to talk about the activity of the Trinity because there are some details that happened, which we touched upon, but some t- details that happened in regards to the actual story of Christmas, especially with Mary and Joseph, that I think are important to talk about. So what is this activity? Well, what we see in Matthew is the fact that the Holy that that the that God himself is over and orchestrating these events, and, and we may actually get into that more in another podcast about the whole hand of God in this. But So we, we see God the Father actually sovereignly Superseding over disposing yeah. these things. And then we see God the Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, actually bringing about conception in a virgin girl. Now, this is mm-hmm. the miracle of the virgin birth. But the incarnation happens because the Holy Spirit causes conception in the womb of a young woman. So this is the activity of the Holy Spirit. We see. I, I think, and, and I'll stop you there just for a minute because I think it's easy for us when we read over these stories, these recounting of the Christmas stories, to just lose sight of some of the stuff that's going on. We've heard it over and over again. Those of us who have been believers for a while read it. Maybe we even grew up hearing it, but we're just now become believers. We're familiar with it, right? So it's easy for us to just kind of brush over it and not see this reality that we're about to talk about. You know, what you think about conception, and, and there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't be a little frank. Right. I mean, the Bible's not squeamish about these things. No. But when a man and a woman come together and a, a child is conceived from the sperm and egg of a man and a woman, this is an amazing thing. You think about what has to happen. Now, it's a natural thing. And, and God, as Al Mohler says, says, let there be life. Right. And there's life. You know, we believe in life believe, beginning at conception. But now, let's, let's just pause for a moment and think upon the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Luke, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. That's Those are... I don't want to be too read too much into it, but that's kind of what happens in the situation with a man and a woman. This closeness that comes, this intimacy that comes, that issues forth in conception. And so now what's happening to this woman who's never known a man, the Holy Spirit is overshadowing her. Well, and I think we have to be careful because one is of sexual nature and one is of miraculous nature. You know what I'm saying? I, I, it, there's there's comparisons here but if you take it too far then it becomes kind of this well you know you know become bizarre but right but it in some ways is bizarre because you've got the holy spirit coming upon a woman overshadowing her and causing her to conceive yeah uh 
Well, one is natural, yeah, although it seems miraculous. Right. The other is supernatural. And yeah, we often hear people miraculous. say, "Oh, baby was born, such a miracle," and I'm like, "Well, not really. It's actually a very natural thing. It's a natural <laughs> thing, but it is an amazing thing. This is a miracle, though. This is miraculous right. that a woman who's never come together with a man is pregnant, and she. So anyway, there's there you see the activity of the Holy Spirit, of the Father, in orchestrating these things, bringing a conception of the right. second person of the Godhead, which is the Son. Right. But there's another spot. That's in conception, in the conception of Christ. But there's also we see the activity of the Trinity in the gestation period. That nine-month period. You, you think about yeah. God being in a womb and forming into a, a baby for nine months, undergoing gestation. That's pretty amazing to think about in itself. But what we see later in the pregnancy of Elizabeth, who's carrying John the Baptist, and this is a bit of a miracle, too, because she's too old to conceive, right. and she's carrying the forerunner of Christ. And so it says that in uh, chapter 1, Mary rose in those days and went to Judah, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth – she came to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, evidently she walked in and said, hey, Elizabeth, that the baby – in Elizabeth's womb, leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we see the Holy Spirit again active, um, and she spoke with a loud voice and said, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." And what, what, what is this? What, where did this come from? In me, that the mother of my Lord. Okay, there's the first person of mm. the Godhead, the mother of my Lord which is the second person of the Godhead as well, should come to me, for lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there mm. shall be a performance of these things which were told her from the Lord. This interchanging of terminology, right. ex, uh, expressing and describing something of the activity of the Godhead, it, even during the gestation period, that the baby John the Baptist had some recognition of the voice of the mother of Christ. So we see the activity of the Godhead, the Trinity, during the conception and the gestation. And, and of course, then we see Christ come to birth and the, the shepherds. Well, it's the mere coming. humanity of all of this. Yeah, and yet the he, absolute, he is human. Then the absolute divinity and and deity of it all. Right. Uh, so, what we see here in the Christmas story then is these this actually what something that the that the Christmas story is teaching us something about the Trinity. So the question now comes, and I think it's an important question when you're dealing with high thoughts of God, high view of God. How do we make this practical for us as we head into this Christmas season? So, so we want to apply this to this during this – and for all of life in general. But I think this Christmas season as we think upon these things. Well, I think it brings a sense of awe, mm. of wonder, and it brings us a warning against just being ho-hum about the nativity, about mm. the, the incarnational event. It's not just sweet. Yeah. We may talk about the Incarnation. I'm sure we will some before we get through all this. But but enough to say you show, that, You showed our hand. We're still developing all this. <laughs> right. We're, yeah. But 
the the tendency is, and I've heard preachers. I know we read this every year, and you know that's I, okay. I, re- I remember I was in college, and a friend of mine, uh, he was an eccentric kind of fellow, really good Christian guy, and I was I had a passage of scripture on my heart, and I said something. I said, "Well, you probably don't know that." He said, "Brother, it don't matter." He said, "You mm. should be able to say, I know God so loved about. the world,' <laughs> and and we ought to be leaning over to listen to it again because right. it's always new. And, it's, and it's this true. story yeah. is always new. It's always fresh. It's not. It never gets old because we are reading about the activity of the triune Godhead in bringing himself in the person of Christ to the earth as a man to live a perfect life, to show us what God is like in the flesh, and ultimately to die and be buried and rise again for the sins of his people. This is not old stuff. Well, I, It's old, but still it's fresh. I mean, I think it just – it overwhelms. It Every makes, time I listen to Silent Night and I listen to the words, I get tears in my eyes. Yeah. Christ, I mean, yeah. the Savior – is born. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that poem I like to quote every year, mm-hmm. and I, I find some way to get it we'll, somewhere. We'll save it for later. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I put it on as a blog. Yeah. You know, people need to read that. That is an incredible expression of incarnational truth. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it should move us to tears. Right. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Mm-hmm. Let earth receive her king. These things t- should take on meaning far beyond the simple whole hum nature of doing the same thing we've always done. Yep. This, if we never received a gift, never ate a piece of pumpkin pie or whatever, cranberry sauce or whatever, if we never got to do any of that, or we could worship. Gift. We could yeah, worship. Absolutely. Well, maybe so. Maybe said of us that this is what marks our Christmas season as we head into this first week of Advent. Read, worship, and learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Well, we look forward to next week. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter, at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. Mm-hmm.